Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Alike Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Well, good evening, everyone. We welcome you to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We're also streaming live at WSBTRadio.com. On the free WSBT radio app. Also a video feed on the Twitch app. And once again, like last night, if you've tuned in below the shot of Eric Hansen, it says Allison Hayes, but I promise it is Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. We encourage you while you're listening to the program on your phone, laptop, Whatever electronic device you use, check out InsideIndieSports.com. Mr. Hansen, how are you today? This is Allison Hayes. (laughs) You don't look like Allison Hayes, (laughs) I I don't think. I don't think unless my reading glasses need adjusted. (laughs) But anyway, good to be with you. We will be together magically through technology on Saturday with Game Day Sports Beat. Brought to you by Bud Light as we preview Notre Dame-Clemson. We're on from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. And Tyler Horka will be at Clemson. Eric will be in studio. I'll be in Pennsylvania with the Irish hockey team as they take on Penn State Saturday and Sunday. But magically, we will make it all work again 9 a.m. 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. here on Sports Radio 960. WSBT coming up. We've got the advantage game as we preview Notre Dame Clemson. We've got a recap of some of the questions Eric was asked in his 
InsideIndieSports.com chat Wednesday at noon. Also, we have our Twitter question of the day. VEASAN host and diehard Notre Dame football fan Tim Murray back with me talking Notre Dame football from Vegas and offers a perspective on Notre Dame Clemson from what they're saying out in Vegas right now. Notre Dame a three-point favorite over under still at 45. Some have it at 44 and a half for Notre Dame and Clemson. You'll hear from Tim in the six o'clock hour. We'll play back some of the comments of Notre Dame basketball coach Micah Shrewsbury as Notre Dame basketball played an exhibition game against Hanover College on WSBT Radio last night. And we will wrap up the program with our sports wagering segment, We Going to Sizzler. We start tonight's program with a couple of thoughts on the loss of a basketball icon here in the state of Indiana. Last night we learned the passing of a former Indiana basketball coach, Bob Knight, at the age of 83, he had been in failing health for some time, and Coach Knight passed away at the age of 83 yesterday. And Eric, you used to cover Indiana University basketball. You were front row in press conferences, and I know you've told me through the years when I've asked you about your time covering Bob Knight, that time made you such a better reporter that you're probably still reaping the rewards of that experience even today. I would say so, and and uh, just trying to boil Bob Knight's passing, his impact, who he was, into um, a very short sentence here is like trying to pour <clears throat> the Pacific Ocean into a paper cup. I mean, it's really it's complicated. complicated and difficult. And so forth. The one thing that I, well, I'll mention two things. One is, I'm not sure everybody was aware of how badly Bob Dyke was dealing with dementia at the end of his life. Um, Bob Hamill, who's a mutual friend of ours, um, and I were talking the day after Bob Knight returned to Assembly Hall a few years ago for the first time since he had been fired at Indiana. And I was really curious to find out what Bob thought of that experience in retrospect. And Bob Hamill told me he doesn't remember it. He did not remember it the next day. That's how deeply the dementia had affected him at that point. I would say, um, you know, I spent about 12 years covering Indiana basketball and sometimes overlapping with Purdue, which was an interesting tightrope. Um, but he's a brilliant guy. I mean, he, he was one of the most brilliant coaches in any sport that I've covered, and obviously that's reflected in his wins. I also think that he could have done it without the um, stuff that he was criticized for, and I don't think he ever believed that he could. Um, I, I think – there could have been an evolution with him where, for lack of a better term, a kinder, gentler uh, Bob Knight existed, and he just didn't feel like that would ever work for him. I, I just think his knowledge of basketball and everything w was brilliant, but um, there are some dark moments with him. And so, again, it's hard to put that all in a capsule and say, well, was he a great person. A lot of people like to say, well, you know, there's a lot of goodness that 
people didn't know about, and that's true. Yes. And I also think there were there was darkness that people didn't know about, and I saw a lot of it. I will share one story, too, that at one point uh, when Bob Hamill retired, the Bloomington paper took about a year to decide who his successor was going to be. Big decision. And they contacted me very early in that process, and then I didn't hear from him for over six months. And I thought, okay, <laughs> well, that was interesting. And then they came back to me and they said, you know, we'd like to have you come down for an interview. And I went down there. I had two pretty small children at the time. I loved working at the South Bend Tribune. Loved, loved, loved it. And I also wanted to be a really good dad. And I and I knew how many, I mean, I worked a lot of hours, but I knew Bob Hamill was just so um, ensconced in that whole mm. thing that I would not be a good dad, I don't think, and I, and I would be leaving a place that I loved. And so I turned them down. And uh, Bob Knight called uh, at my house. My younger son picked it out. <laughs> I think he was maybe two at the time. And said, Daddy. And uh, so I get on the phone, and I did not expect to hear from Bob Knight, and he wanted to know why I was turning the job down. So that was an interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. And I can see from that conversation why people would say, like, why why would recruits ever go play there if they knew what they were kind of walking into? He's very charming, and it's not inauthentic. There is a charming side to him. And we had a really good talk, and he actually agreed with my reasons uh, for wanting to stay at the South Bend Tribune and uh, continue my career there. So, I mean, <laughs> it feels like a lifetime ago, and yet I'm impacted by those 12 years every day I do my job. But one, one of the, the funny things, boy, I'm getting way off That's topic okay. here, is um, – you know, I used to overdress going to the um, Indiana games. I would wear a coat and tie because I didn't want him to think I was at the student newspaper because I was 23 years old. And I wanted him to think I was a grown-up journalist. <laughs> That's who he was dealing with. Wow. Well, as someone that grew up in central Illinois, a diehard Illinois basketball fan, we look at Bob Knight a whole lot different than yeah. the folks do in the state of Indiana. I think there was a respect. The coach, Bob Knight, in terms of his strategy, his X's and O's, his teaching, obviously, and you were at the real assembly hall in Champaign <laughs> years ago when Bob Knight ran off the floor before the game was over, waving at Illinois fans, and that really heated up the rivalry, which led to Illinois coach Lou Henson. Classic bully was the words that came out of Lou's mouth, and apparently he tried to go after Bob Knight, and I think the story that I've read is that a couple of assistants, including Dan Dockage, held Lou Henson back from going after Bob Knight because he was seriously trying to get to him. Given Bob Knight's stature, I think that was a good move that those assistants held Lou Hansen back because he would have gotten clobbered. Um, he's a big dude. I mean, that was the one thing that I didn't see on TV growing up that the first time I was next to him, and I go, wow, this guy's 6'5 and, and big. I mean, he's a big dude. My dad was 6'4 uh, and was a big dude, and, and Bob Knight was – 
taller. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that was – I was there for that classic bully game. I was there for the <laughs> chair toss. I was there for all of it. WCIA and Champaign got deep into the archives, and Lou and Bob did not agree on many things, and they had that incident. But February 29, 1996, I don't know if you were at this game or not, it was Lou's last game in Bloomington. He was retiring as yeah. Illinois head coach, and Bob Knight presented him a chair. Yep, rocking chair. So you were there for this? Yeah. All right, so this is just a 50-second clip of the audio and I think all of us were surprised that Bob said what he said, and even you could tell in his voice he got a little emotional. So this was Knight with a chair in between the two, Lou Henson and Bob Knight, and Bob addressing Lou over the PA system. During those 21 years, the players on both teams have shown what college basketball, the very best of college basketball. Uh, there's never... There's, there's never been an incident with players in any one of our games. On the back of this chair, there will be a plate that simply says, to Lou Henson, an excellent coach, a tough opponent, best wishes from Indiana basketball. And we haven't agreed on everything over the years, but I'm going to miss you. Thank you. Thank you. Is this really the Bob Knight that I know? <laughs> you know, when you think about the coaches that were in the Big oh, Ten at that time. Glory days. It's, it's, there are icons. And I mean, just one after another, after another, after another, and national championship coaches. And, and another thing that happened during that era was Bob Knight's blow up with Bill Frieder <laughs> at Michigan after one game. And it was the only time that I've written a couple of different words that my editor, the executive editor at the little paper I was at the time, wanted me to make sure that I included. And he called him a chicken bleep mother bleep. And that made it, I mean, the actual words made it into our print. Really? And you know what? Not one person called to complain. Because you expect day. it. They they expected it and some admired it, <laughs> and thought, you know what that's the truth about Bill Frieder. But and they I brought mean, they brought that story back down. Just put Jim Harbaugh's name instead of Frieder. Yeah, I mean it, it was, I mean it was. I mean I think back at that time and I'd have stories forever to tell, um, amazing stories. Notre Dame basketball coach Mike Shrewsbury. Offered some comments about the passing of Bob Knight last night. And, you know, my thoughts and prayers to the Indiana basketball family. Um, but really a lot of a lot of people in the state of Indiana. Um, you know, I grew up a, a, a kid from, from Jeffersonville, Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana. And, um, you know, every, every high school in this state was playing – man-to-man -man defense and running motion offense because of Coach Knight. Um, and, like, my high school coach played for him at Army. Uh, my college coach is, is an Ohio State grad, um, so, so knew him from then. Um, but, like, a lot of the upbringing, a lot of the things that, that, you know, I think about as a coach 
Um, a lot of us coaches all goes back to, to, to him. So um, I know there's a lot of people hurting right now because of that. So um, just want to know, like everybody at Indiana University know that, you know, Notre Dame basketball family is thinking about you. That's a Purdue guy right there. And Coach Katie's come out with a statement today. And, of course, you would think they would have been arch rivals, but Coach Katie and Coach Knight were warriors on the basketball court. But I don't know how long they were good friends, but, I mean, recently when Coach Knight came back to Bloomington, Gene Katie was right there. Yeah, so when they were competing, they were rivals. <laughs> yeah, I, I had enough I had enough conversations with each of them separately that yeah that that <laughs> they weren't they weren't buddies they would go play golf every year there would be a helicopter that would pick them up and take them to a undisclosed golf course they didn't know where they were going and they would play golf once a year together hmm. gene said until that he swept indiana one year and the night wasn't on the helicopter <laughs> uh, but but i will say this post their post-coaching days, and especially when this is amazing with Gene Katie, um, when Bob started having touches of dementia, Gene Katie was a guy that was right there that was a super friend to him. And when he went back to Assembly Hall, I mean, Gene Katie had spent the day with him, hmm. and I think they watched basketball games together either that day or the next day together. Um, and then he was very compassionate with Bob in that state, you know, wasn't bitter about stuff. And there was some bitter, bitter games. I mean, there was the chair toss game. <laughs> uh, Gene Katie's wife got like people were throwing coins and stuff. She got hit in the eye with a coin that had this big bandage over her yeah. eye. I mean, there were I mean, there was I don't want to say it was bad blood, but it is was as deep as a rivalry as you could get and uh <laughs> so and there's things i've promised gene kate i wouldn't share outside his office so i will keep those to myself <laughs> but um but it was interesting to see at the end the the friendship between those guys was amazing and <laughs> it it touches your heart i mean it just absolutely melts you the Bob Knight TV show was always interesting. Ah. I've seen clips of that. And the time he was mad at Purdue, and he asked the AD of Purdue to come on his show. And, of course, the Purdue AD declined. So what did Knight do? He brought in a donkey wearing a Purdue hat. <laughs> and he named the AD, of course. Another word for donkey, I think, if I yeah. remember correctly. So I always felt bad for Chuck Marlowe, who was oh. the host of that show, because he had absolutely no control over where that was going. When I first started here, I produced his radio show on these airwaves, and he would stop answering the question. You hear the the knife and the steak. <laughs> he would be he'd be chopping it up, and he'd be talking, and then he would start chewing. I mean, it was just <laughs> it was nothing like you've ever heard before. It was something else. And then the golf outtakes of his golf show he had on YouTube. If you ever want to see Bob Knight <laughs> on a golf course, just go to Bob Knight Golf on YouTube. Have you ever watched them, the outtakes? I got, I did not watch the outtakes, but I got Gene Cady's personal review of the show in his office. <laughs> once. Which cannot be disclosed. Which cannot be disclosed. Oh. 
Come on. Yeah, the, the Bob Knight golf outtakes is one of the greatest things you'll ever find on YouTube. How about that? All right. We've got the advantage game and plenty of Notre Dame football talk to get to, but we wanted to obviously talk about Coach Knight for a second. Then we'll get to some Notre Dame football talk. But as we go to break, there were a lot of classic lines that Bob Knight had, and we'll go to break with this one. When my time on earth is gone and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my ass. Here come the Irish! Notre Dame football coverage continues now. Gives to Estime, he leaps at the one and goes over the strike. Touchdown, Notre Dame! Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Hartman keeps it, runs it up the middle, bulldozing to the end zone, and he's in! On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Low snap, hands off inside to Estime, 10-5, he'll get there! Touchdown, Notre Dame! Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat at 531. We're live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com, the WSBT radio app, and on the Twitch app. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideNDSports.com. It's time to get to our advantage game. It is Notre Dame at 7-2, taking on 4-4 Clemson down in South Carolina Saturday at noon. Here are the game right here on WSBT Radio. Pre-game starts at 6 a.m. Eric Tyler and I with Game Day Sports Beat brought to you by Bud Light from 9 until 11 a.m. Our advantage game is very simple. We have six categories in the game. We have a conversation about each one, and we decide in each category which team has the advantage. So, Eric, let's begin with the old Clemson Tigers. The last time they have been 500 with four games to go in a regular season, 2010. That year they finished 6-7. and seven. But Eric Hansen, they're a 4-4 four and four football team right now. They've lost two in a row. They lost in double overtime to the Miami Hurricanes on the road, 28-20. And then last Saturday they lost in Raleigh to North Carolina State. 24 to 17. Dabo is yelling and screaming at callers in his radio show. Will Shipley may not play. I mean, what chance do they have in this game? Right. Well, and there's more uh-huh. more uh, players that may not play. Mm-hmm. Three more starters. But the spread is only three. Hmm. Well, there's good reasons for that too. Mm. Okay. Let's dig into it. Let's start with the Clemson offense. They average right around 28 points per game. That's middle of the pack right now in college football. So, Eric, let's start with the Clemson rushing attack. We mentioned Will Shipley. Maffa is a really good number two running back for this Clemson football team. That running game against the Notre Dame run defense, which is getting better. What do you have to say about that matchup? Well, especially if Will Shipley can't go and he got a concussion last Saturday, and that would be a really quick turnaround. I mean, yeah. even if he were cleared, he would have missed the whole week of practice, you would figure. Um, and then there's not anybody behind Maffa. They, they, 
the people have like single digit carries other than Cade Klubnick, their quarterback, who is a little bit mm. not underwater as far as his running, but not, you know, what you think about Riley Leonard and guys like that and Caleb Williams. Um, the last two teams that have played Clemson have really leaned into run defense and held them down and taken their chances with the Clemson passing game. Clemson is 64th in the country in rush offense. Notre Dame is 40th in run defense, which is probably the area where they could they need to improve the most in, but they are getting better in that as well. And some of that is coming from their sacks. Uh, but uh, Notre Dame gets the check mark here, and I think they will lean into their run defense. I think they will look at what Miami and NC State had success with and stop the run first, especially if Moffa's got to carry, do all the carrying himself. Eric, as good as Notre Dame is across the board in the national defensive statistics, and I know last week Pittsburgh went one for 11 on third downs. Isn't it strange? Statistically, Notre Dame isn't very good on third down defensively. Right, but that has been something they've been improving on yeah. the last few games. But, yeah, that early in the year they weren't. Weird. And a lot of that was, again, they didn't have the pressures worked out. And so teams were able to kind of have it third and five and stuff. And even when it was third and long, they got an inordinate amount of third downs early in the season. They're not getting them now. Okay, so now when Cade Klubnick and the Clemson passing attack goes to work against a Notre Dame defense, Eric, Pass efficiency defense, only Michigan and Ohio State are better right now. Right. So Clemson is 45th in pass offense, 71st in pass efficiency. As you mentioned, Notre Dame is third in pass efficiency defense. Now, this will be the third top 10 pass defense Clemson's gone against. So they have gone, and it hasn't gone well. Um, And so big check mark here for Notre Dame, especially with, uh, ben Morrison and Cam Hart coming back. But, man, those young kids, Jaden Mickey and Christian Gray, looked awfully good at filling in. With our experience taking on some really good Clemson teams, their wide receiving core is less than spectacular. Good, it, but nothing spectacular. Well, I, certainly down, down the field, I mean, they are near the bottom of the country in yards per attempt and yards per completion. Uh, they are they are not I mean you think about how scary Clemson was oh, with their receivers in twenty eighteen and yeah and uh yeah there was they came at you in waves and now they have had some swings and misses on wide receiver talent and they have not supplemented through the portal. The tsunami has hit them. Yes. Okay. Now let's go to the fighting Irish offense taking on a Clemson defense statistically across the board. One of the best in the country. Notre Dame's rushing attack. They were supposed to be at least halfway stymied by Pittsburgh because, Eric, what does Pittsburgh do defensively? They try to take away your run. Didn't happen. Notre Dame had good success. Audric Estime went over 100 rushing yards. And now they take on a Clemson defense that you look at their stats. They've had some ups and downs along the way, but Florida State stands out 20 carries for 22 yards. Yeah. So in these, the games that have been played between Clemson and Notre Dame in 2015, whoever won the rushing battle wins the game, whether it's close or whether the score has been a blowout. 
And the rushing totals haven't been close. Notre Dame clobbered them in the running game last year. Drew Pine only had nine completions in that game. But Notre Dame just ran over Clemson, which was the stunning part of that. And really, in the first 2020 game, Notre Dame clobbered them. I mean, they held Clemson to 34 rushing yards, and they were over 200 in that double overtime win over number one Clemson. Absolutely, all the numbers reversed themselves in the ACC championship yeah. game. Clemson is the has the better statistics here. They're 15th in run defense. We may not see Tyler Davis, their defensive tackle. He's battling some injuries. Notre Dame is 37th in pass or rush offense. They opened up the run with their pass in the game. They're going to have to do that against Clemson. I'm giving Clemson the check mark here, not the heavy check mark, but I am giving them the check mark. Okay. The how the game plays out segment tomorrow on the program that I do, I'm going to be a little more excited about the Irish rushing attack. Okay. I'm a little nervous now after hearing what you had to say, but I, I think I got a feeling it might be okay. All right. Anyway, yeah, I think they will be okay, but I think it's it's they're going to have to chisel it. Yeah, they're going to have chisel. to chisel. Yeah. Okay. Well, seven baby, seven can chisel, right? Right. Seven is the guy. They can do all that work to loosen them up a little bit. So seven. there you go. Seven. Okay, now seven, let's go seven, to seven, Notre Dame seven, throwing the football. Seven, Eric Sam Hartman is 0-5 against Clemson. we got to stop this. Right, 0-4 as a starter, 0-5 as a Wake Forest player, although we had six touchdowns against them <laughs> last year. And then the coaching staff messed up by trying to run it right. against cover two. So... Um, from the number standpoint, Notre Dame is 44th in pass offense, but they're ninth in pass efficiency. That's mm. one of the most efficient passing offense Clemson's going to see this year. They are 12th in pass efficiency defense, and you look, and nobody's really had a good day. Jordan Travis didn't have a good mm-hmm. day against them. I mean, you still look at the numbers and you go, how did Florida State end up winning this game? And th- that will be upcoming here, but... <laughs> um, but I give Clemson the check mark here. Mm-hmm. I think Notre Dame's passing attack is going to be good enough, but it's not going to dominate them. Based on your check marks, the under for this game is looking awfully good. I would think so. What is the over-under? It was 45. It okay. might be at a 44 and a half okay. in some spots. Okay. Special teams. Notre Dame has really gotten a big boost of a special teams lately. You know, Chris Tyree's Whew. punt return, Jadarian Price's kickoff return, the uh, recovery of a muff punt against Pittsburgh. Uh, they're starting to get their mojo on special teams after maybe being a little bit disappointed. Spencer Schrader's on a roll. Uh, Clemson's field goal kicking has been awful. They're 7 of 14. They're. Barely over 50% inside the 30. Remember, they got the guy that can kick yeah, it from 80, yeah, apparently, yeah, but he can't make it from 29. He, he's <laughs> he's one for four this year. They've gone to another kicker, and he's six for 10. They're, I think, one for five from 40 and beyond. So probably not going to see that 70-yarder kicked against Notre Dame. So Notre Dame gets the check mark in special teams. Finally, intangibles, which may include the smoking pig. <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody's going to have their pregame meal there since they don't serve breakfast. That's a shame. Um, That's a crime. 
so here's the intangibles. Clemson has been a turnover machine. They have been their own worst enemy. The missed field goals and then all the turnovers. They're 95th in the country in turnover margin. Notre Dame's 8th. And so Notre Dame has a big advantage there where Clemson has a big advantage. There's some interesting numbers here, but in the playoff era, which is 10 years, this is the 10th year of the playoff era, Mm -hmm. Clemson visiting teams going into Clemson Stadium have come out how many times? 65 times teams have gone in. How many times have they come out with a win? Four. Three. Well, it's going to be four. And it was (laughs) one-point win, one-point win, overtime win. Those are the Florida State this year, South Carolina last year, and a weird Pittsburgh upset in 2016 when Clemson won the national championship that year. They lost to Pittsburgh at home, but won the national championship. That was their one loss in 2016. Um, mm. Now, Notre Dame is 19-1 and in November since 2018, the one loss being USC at the end of last year. So they've been a good November team. I'm going to give Clemson the intangibles here mm-hmm. because there's no guarantee you're going to have turnovers in a game, and that's still an awfully difficult place to play. Mm. Aha! Aha! Wow, that's a lot of good information right there. You jammed into that segment. So am I supposed to pick the winner or no? Yeah, let's do that because advantage game you had, when Clemson runs it, advantage Notre Dame. When Clemson throws it, advantage Notre Dame. Flip-flop, when Notre Dame runs or throws, you give the Clemson defense the advantage. Special teams to Notre Dame. The smoke and pig factored into the intangibles going to Clemson, so the spread is three, the over-under 44-and-a-half, and you say? With a Spencer Schrader 57-yard oh. field goal, Notre Dame win. A school record 57-yard field goal, Notre Dame wins 20-17. to 17. Big time Wow, 20-17 on a last second. 57-yarder. Yep. Holy cow. Who's calling that game on ABC ESPN? I don't even know. It's you know Sean McDonough. Oh, it'll be great Greg then. McElroy, and I don't remember the sideline reporter's name, but I know she's good. Molly McGrath. McGrath, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's the best crew in college football. That's yeah. going to be good. McDonough will love that last-second field goal from okay. 57. That's beautiful. All right. So it's a push. Okay. Okay. I have Clemson scoring 16. Okay. I have Notre Dame scoring 27. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? I mean, who would have thought it would have been 35-14 with Drew Pine at quarterback I, absolutely. for Notre Dame last year? Who's the better team? Notre Dame is the better team, but that they venue their is difficult. Yep. And coaching decisions and a lot of things can factor into a game like this. Right. We'll take a timeout. We'll recap some of Eric's chat questions involving Notre Dame football next on WSBT. You can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the app store and Google play. Now back to local sports talk on sports beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. I feel a little guilty today. I really do because during the commercial breaks, Eric is sharing more Bob Knight, Gene Katie stories, and I'm just sitting here with my feet up like, this is awesome. 
<laughs> I mean, I asked him, were you there when Coach Knight had the whip? Yep. When he smashed the phone? Yep. On down the line? Yep. <laughs> okay. <sighs> yeah, the, the whip was not the best idea in the world. It was not the best idea in the world, but it got blown out of proportion. And it, it did? Was, oh, man. Yeah, those are the days. I mean, if there was Twitter back then, I can't, I can't imagine how things would have been different. But, boy, news traveled fast. Oh, yes. Yes, it did. No <laughs> doubt. All right. Eric Hansen, the publisher, editor, InsideIndieSports.com. Darren Pritchett, Sportspeak continues at 550. Let's roll through some of the questions that Eric answered during his chat at InsideIndieSports.com. Yesterday, Joe from Williams Bay, Wisconsin, he says, it was nice to finally have two consecutive games without having to go to the ER for heart palpitations. I'm wondering what you think the effects are going to be with Mitch Evans' unfortunate season-ending injury. What adjustments do you think Parker can make to minimize it and which player is most likely to step up? Well, I mean, Mitch Evans led Notre Dame with 10 third-down conversions. Jabron Payne is next with eight. Nobody has more than four. So they're going to miss him on those big third-down conversions. I think, um, you know, you, you still have the numbers at tight end. You get Eli Reardon more involved. And I, I actually asked Marcus about, you know, kind of the mental hurdles that he's overcoming and how ready he is maybe for that role. So, And then I think Jaden Thomas being healthy eventually, um, you know, because he's obviously had a – had a setback after the Louisville game with a hamstring. He went from 35 touches or reps to six and 11 the last two games. You get him more involved, I think that's that's going to be helpful there. Jeff from Boston. I'm curious, Eric, what were you thinking as Marcus Freeman let the clock run down in the first half? I was dumbfounded. Did Marcus Freeman get asked about this at all? Tyler James of InsideIndieSports.com did ask the question, and did he acknowledge his mistake? He didn't acknowledge it as a mistake. He um, just kind of walked through his thinking about it, which still kind of my I was slack jawed at hearing that, and yet I re- realize you know we're not always going to agree on certain strategies, but I think that one was kind of universally icky. Um, but I, you know, one thing that was interesting today, one of the things I asked Marcus was, who do you listen to? Do you listen? Do you seek out advice? Do you, are you open to hearing from unsolicited <laughs> advice from coaches? And, and that's the thing I do like about Marcus is that he is willing to listen, look at it from a different perspective. He's not going to be stubborn and digging his heels. And so we're going to get some of these moments, um, until he has the experience of saying, you know what? I remember that. Pit game. That was a bad move. <laughs> All right. Ronald, who is 20 minutes from my hometown in Springfield, Illinois. Eric, how will the new ACC schedule affect Notre Dame's contract with the ACC? Will the Stanford game be a conference game, a non-conference game? Any information on Notre Dame TV contract with NBC? Well, let's get to the contract with NBC. That runs through 2025. They're in negotiations. I think, you know, it's going to be – this is going to happen probably under Pete Bavakwa's watch when he becomes the AD 
you know, not just the AD and waiting uh, next spring. So then I think things will ramp up a little bit more. As far as the ACC contract, I mean, they've got these games scheduled all the way out to 2037. The initial thought was that Stanford stays a standalone series. Now, what do you do with SMU and Cal? Are you able to work them in at some point? I don't think that's a big priority right now of of them doing that. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. There's rumblings about teams wanting to leave the ACC. Maybe then you plug these teams into the spots where those teams go. But right now, you know, it's pretty close to status quo. Mark from Orange County, California. How does Notre Dame's offensive line – and defensive line match up with Clemson. In what component of the game does Clemson present the biggest challenge to Notre Dame? Well, um, Notre Dame, let's compare the offensive line. Notre Dame's okay. offensive line is better than Clemson's, mm-hmm. and Clemson may be missing two starters on Saturday on their offensive line. Uh, I'm I'm pretty certain that that's going to happen. So, their whole left side of their offensive line is going to be gone, and that's going to weak. Defensively, Clemson's got more NFL talent in their defensive front. Notre Dame has played pretty darn good, but I still think Clemson has the edge. So going defensive line, the defensive lines have the advantage on both the offensive lines here. What was the other part of that? What component of the game does Clemson present the biggest challenge? Defense. I mean, there's nothing wrong with their defense. There's nothing wrong with their defense. Dave from Ponte Vedra, Florida. With the season at the three-quarter pole, what's your best guess as to who might leave early for the NFL? Dave says, I would love to see Xavier Watts stick around for another year. We had... Um, NFL analyst Mike Renner on our podcast during the first bye week, and he's really on top of that. He now this was before um, before his uh, Pittsburgh game, but not before his USC game, and he thinks Watt should come back. And but you know, you he's an ascending player right now. He's going to listen and see and and. You know, if he feels like he can play himself into a higher draft round, that would be good. So the other people that I think, and this I'm relying on uh, Mike Renner largely here, but I mean Joe Alt, Riley Mills, Howard Cross. He said Howard Cross is the ND player who's absolutely helped himself the most. He's gone from a non-draftable player wow. to probably a middle-round kind of guy and maybe pushing higher. Hmm. Audric Estime and Cam Hart. And then I think the maybes, and I think Jack, Jack Kaiser and J.D. Bertrand will probably take a run at this. And then Blake Fisher is the one that you're not really sure about. I think everybody else is – I think Maris Leofow probably comes back. Now, again, we're talking about guys leaving early. You know, there's J.J.B., uh, Jean-Baptiste, and guys like that that can't come back. Is it fair to conclude at this point that chances are very high Blake Fisher would not be a candidate for left tackle next year? I, I, You know, Mike Renner's answer to this surprised me. He thinks he would be a very good left tackle mm. Um, mm. and thinks he's more athletic than Joe Ald. He said that's why he was the five-star coming out of high school. I, I don't know. I mean, 
Aaron Banks, the the lure to try to get him to come back was to move him from left guard to left tackle. He decided to go into the draft. He was a second-round pick. Now, he was a true senior when he did that, um, giving up a fifth year. Uh, but, you know, I think that would be uh, – maybe Blake Fisher is happy at right tackle, but I think that's something that they would have to talk about. I know Tyler James, my colleague, is – he thinks Emil Wagner is the guy to emerge over there on he the told left me that side. Saturday, we had a discussion yeah. about that. Okay. I don't think that's a bad idea. I mean, Emil Wagner is super athletic, super super athletic. And I brought up this week that might be an under the radar transfer portal spot as well, possibly. It could be. I mean, Tyler thinks that. I think less of that because okay. I think you've got some pretty good prospects, but we'll see. Finally, Sean from Portland, Oregon. He says, Coach Freeman made comments recently about having open and honest dialogue with players about the transfer portal during the season. He asked three questions. I'll do it one at a time. Number one, have you heard anything about potential outgoing transfers? No, I mean, we can all guess at them, but... I mean, nobody's talking about that. They're focused on finishing their season. Number two, do you think Hartman will play in a bowl game? And let me ask it this way. New Year's Six, Pop-Tarts Bowl, does it matter? I'm not sure it matters with him. I I think he's going to play. Just Mm -hmm. He talked to the media last night, and just some of the things he said about how much Notre Dame has meant to him and his teammates and Marcus Freeman. I mean, he's not a first-round draft choice. Um, Probably that middle and, round, and, at this he, point. and he may be making more money in college yeah. than he is. So I, I think he plays. I still think he's kind of a late round guy at this time. Yeah. Finally, is Freeman setting up Mickens to be Al Golden's successor with his recent comments, which was asked by Mr. Hansen? I mean, that wasn't his intent. His intent was to answer the question I asked him honestly, and he did. But what he's saying is that Mike Mickens would get strong consideration. I don't think he's saying he's the defensive coordinator and waiting. Uh, but he was very honest, and I think Mike Mickens deserves it and will get a shake. But I wanted to get him on the record. I don't want any of this source to say, uh, you know, I wanted it to be. You know, what does Marcus Freeman think? Okay. Can I ask something not on the script? Sure. Just, I know we're getting short on time here. There are reports that Big Ten coaches to the Big Ten commissioner basically threw a fit that Jim Harbaugh and Michigan, they have not been punished as of yet for the alleged sign-stealing scandal. Now, apparently Harbaugh jumped off the coaches' teleconference or whatever you call it, the meeting, and then the coaches kind of went after a brand-new commissioner. who Eric is in a tough spot. There are millions and millions of dollars on the line with a team going to the college football playoff. You've got TV companies paying mucho money to bring you the Big Ten championship game, which might involve Michigan. So for a guy who's been on the job a short amount of time, I think he's in a really tough spot because, Eric, the investigation isn't done yet, even though there's a lot of things that make you feel like Michigan is guilty, but if the investigation is not done, what can he do? Well, he can't until there's adjudication of that. But if the Big Ten is investigating this, I mean, they have 
um, a duty to investigate it thoroughly and expeditiously. I mean, if they were dragging their feet on purpose, well, we don't want to. Is it better to eliminate Michigan before they get to that point or Mm. ask them to vacate wins and championships after the fact? I think you're better off getting it before it happens and not penalizing people down the road. And so I, I don't know, but yeah, it's well, a, a difficult spot, but you can't, you can't move on it until mm-mm. there's something has been completed. I mean, it looks bad. It looks like well, it's not going to go Michigan's way. Well, how but, about the thing today where the guy in question is telling the defensive coordinator run, right. They bring safeties to the right and leave the middle of the field wide open and Ohio State runs to the right and they stuff it on second down and nine. I mean, those are the things that just look not good. They don't look not good. And it's, I mean, Mm. you know, I have two people that I usually regularly talk to that are on that staff. One's an analyst, one's an assistant coach. I haven't talked to them, so I'm just kind of staying out of it. I think that's wise. That is very, very wise. It's not my story. No, but it's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating story, and they got to be careful because this sets a precedent. They got to nail this. Yeah, they the got to nail this. The the inter- John Bryce um, from Football Scoop had an interesting story today. Now suddenly there's the revisiting of the helmet uh, communications and speeding that process up, which I thought was kind of an interesting sidebar. Nobody uses that right in college because Ryan Harris right. on the Notre Dame Network said there are speakers in the helmet. That's only yeah. in the NFL, right? I believe that's yeah, true. I, yeah. that, that was So they're trying to speed up the technology for college. Not a bad idea. That, yeah. But, you know, there's probably somebody that would hack into the communications. <laughs> the stallion is on the move again. <laughs> okay, Twitter question of the day yesterday. Using the college football playoff rankings, which of these four teams is actually the better team? The four teams, number 11, Penn State, number 13, Louisville, number 14, LSU, number 15, Notre Dame. You voted yesterday. Notre Dame. The results coming in fourth place, the team that beat Notre Dame, number 13, Louisville, only got 5.9% of the vote. Losing to Pittsburgh probably hurts their cause. How did they lose? To Pittsburgh. How? Okay, third of the voting. Penn State, 6.9%. They just look so poor offensively against Ohio State, it's hard to pick them right now. Yep. Okay, number two in the voting. Oh, my goodness. Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers only got 14.7% of the vote, which leaves us with Notre Dame as the best team of the four, getting 72.5% of the vote. I would think they have the biggest potential of the four, for sure, when they play their best. I think they can beat all four. Okay, today's question, Eric. What is the most likely outcome of the Notre Dame-Clemson game? I broke it down this way this week. Notre Dame wins by one to six points. Notre Dame wins by seven plus points. Clemson wins by one to three points. Clemson wins by four or more points. Points. You can vote at 960. That's 960 on Twitter. Eric, your vote based on your prediction earlier is? Um, the Notre Dame winning by six or fewer points. Was that? That is correct, okay. sir. All right. So that is 
your vote. We'd love to get your vote. You can vote right now on Twitter X at 960-SPORTSBEEP. And we wrap up the hour. Oh, my goodness. Much, much more at InsideIndieSports.com. Oh, that's supposed to be last. I screwed it up. Tell us what's at InsideIndieSports.com. I got all the news from Marcus Freeman today during his Zoom with the media, including a couple off, off uh, <laughs> topic, topics, uh, <laughs> whatever that means. Uh, we have an opponent outlook from Tyler James. Uh, Charleston is busy on the recruiting stuff. He had talked to a 2027 quarterback what? prospect who visited Notre Dame. Is he in fifth grade? I think so. Goodness gracious. And of course, Darren, there's much, much more. Can't wait. That's my favorite part. Much, much more. I'll get you out of here. Thank you so much, Eric. Read Eric at InsideIndieSports.com. And I will talk to you through your headphones Saturday, 9 a.m. Game Day Sports Beat brought to you by Bud Light. Awesome. And I will be not posing as Allison Hayes, hopefully. That's right. Tim Murray from VEASAN talks Notre Dame football next on WSBT. Notre Dame football coverage continues now. And a diving catch by Notre Dame. Benjamin Morrison. Three interceptions on the day. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Intercepted on the 45-yard line. So Bracy. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. He will score. 10-5 touchdown. Benjamin Morrison. 95 yards out. It has been fun the last few weeks. Defense and special teams chipping in touchdowns as the offense continues to find itself. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by VEASAN's Tim Murray, diehard Notre Dame football fan. You can catch Tim on VEASAN each weeknight at 6 p.m. Eastern time. That's on YouTube TV or get the audio presentation at VSIN.com. Well, Tim, good to be with you once again, and it's good to be with you after a 58-7 victory over Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh lost their fight in the second half. So did you walk away feel like the offense took some positive steps against a Panther team we thought that would at least show some resistance defensively last Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I, I tooted my horn last week with you saying, I've got a pretty good feel on Notre Dame, and I couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, I thought Pittsburgh would be – you know, dentist style. Uh, and it, it looked a little bit that way with a couple interceptions early on, but that offense completely inept. And uh, no, I, I did come away a bit promise, uh, you know, with some promising feelings, you know, regarding that game, having, you know, Rico Flores have a couple big plays, Chris Tyree, in addition to the kickoff return or the punt return, I should say, you know, a couple big catches. So, um, you know, and then the run game felt like kind of got, you know, back rolling. Audric Estime had a big game. Uh, so we will see. I mean, you know, this is certainly the stiffest test remaining until the bowl game for Notre Dame. Uh, this is a really, really good defense. But uh, coming out of the bye week, I was, uh, I was, I was outside of, uh, you know, one interception that, that probably was pass interference on the defense and another one that was just force. Uh, I think, you know, ultimately I, I saw some strides offensively, which is, which is something, you know, really nice to take away heading into, uh, outside of the record, a really stiff test uh, against Clemson on Saturday. I hate to jump ahead to 2024, but let me ask your opinion because this conversation is starting to pick up around these parts. Does Notre Dame go back to the transfer portal 
at the quarterback position. Sam Hartman was just an absolute pickup by Marcus Freeman and his staff last year. And next year, you've got Steve Angeli, who impresses when he's out there and non-high-leverage situations. you got Minchie, you got Carr coming in. How do you process that situation right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'll give you my answer in just a sec. I mean, obviously, you don't want to just get a guy just for the sake of getting a guy. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to throw out names to, to be, you know, denigrating on, on particular players. But, you know, I think we know the big-ticket quarterbacks that would make some sense, whether it's Michael Pratt from Tulane or if Riley Leonard doesn't go to the NFL or, you know, high-level P5 type of quarterbacks or a Michael Pratt who, you know, is the, the all-time – you know, leader in, in everything at Tulane and has played in some big games and, and very well could win another AAC championship this year. So I don't think you just get a guy just for the sake of getting a guy. I, I don't know if I'm uh, differential on this one, but like hypothetically, if Dante Moore left UCLA to me, that doesn't make sense. If Notre Dame is going to go get a guy, go get a fifth year, sixth year type of senior, come in here, veteran, you keep the young guys in tow, C.J. Carr, Minchie, um, and then, you know, probably Angeli leads in the portal, which is just kind of the name of the business. But, look, Notre Dame starts next year at Kyle Field against Texas A&M. In a year where the playoff expands to 12 and a year where the schedule, at least as of right now, doesn't have a lot of big-ticket games outside of, you know, Florida State at USC and Texas A&M, I just feel like Marcus Freeman can't walk into Kyle Field like he walked into the horseshoe in 2022 with Tyler Buckner. Um, so I think you go out, you try to get a, a hot quarterback. And, you know, I think overall, I would say the Sam Hartman experience from the optics, Darren, was very positive, right? Yeah. He had a ton of NIL. Um, he was very well compensated. He has been talked about at the highest levels, obviously taken down a little bit, but you know, the start of the year, he was everywhere. He's doing an on-field interview before NC State. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's a very um, present piece of the college football landscape. There's going to be teams like Oregon that are probably want to go in the portal with Bo Nix leaving uh, after this year. That's going to be, you know, it, probably someone they're going to be uh, fighting against. But I think overall, Darren, I think a high-level quarterback transfer would be intrigued by Notre Dame, no doubt, considering how well, for the most part, it worked out for uh, for Sam Hartman. And uh, you know, I, I think to me, I think you got to go to the portal and get a and get a fifth year guy. And then in 2025, I would think because of the way you've been recruiting, you can hand over the reins to a Minchie, to a CJ Carr, and then hopefully at that point, kind of start to ride the wave of your in-house pieces. But you know, I, I think for Marcus Freeman, I just don't know how you can walk into 2024 knowing game one's at Texas A&M without a veteran quarterback on the roster. He is VEASAN's Tim Murray joining me here on WSBT Radio. My goodness, Tim, the defense continues to get better and better, yeah. which is good news, but also there's going to be a lot of people interested in defensive coordinator Al Golden. So as we look ahead to next year, you know, there's that possibility Notre Dame may have to move on from Al because of other opportunities, but it is fair to say that Al Golden in his second year with this program has put together a defense. You would have to argue, right, that they're playoff caliber. 
I think so. Uh, I do. And I think, you know, we've looked at recent playoff caliber uh, defenses, and they haven't had the type of cornerback play that Notre Dame does. And, you know, last week you have, and, and I know Pittsburgh can't stretch you vertically, but you're without Benjamin Morrison, you're without Cam Hart midway through that game, and you, you get guys stepping up like uh, like Jaden Mickey with the pick six. So I, I think Notre Dame has to feel great about where their secondary is. The, the uh, defensive line has just been a, a massive success this year, and the linebackers are solid. So, no, I mean, you know, as, as those rankings were revealed earlier this week and Ohio State pops number one, I'm sure a lot of Notre Dame fans, it brought back the bad memories. Mm. I know it did for me. You know, I'm like, oh, man, they were right there. Now, I'll say this. I don't think this is, in the 14 playoff era, a playoff caliber team. That's just my personal opinion. I think it's a New Year's Six level team, and I think Notre Dame certainly, if they can win out, will get to a New Year's Six game, and hopefully they'll win it, you know, for the first time since January of 94. But in my opinion, when I look at Georgia, when I look at Michigan, when I look at Florida State to an extent and Oregon – to me, I think Notre Dame's just a slightly level behind them based off of just how the offense is going, especially now with Mitchell Evans' loss for the year. I think this is a top-10 team, no doubt, in my opinion, with that defense. I just don't know if it's a, a top-four level team right now. Uh, so, But to your point, I think the defense has been exceptional, and we'll see you know, what opportunities arise for Al Golden. Does he want to be a head coach again? Does he want to go to the NFL? <laughs> I think if you're uh, – I think if you're a Notre Dame fan, you're really hoping that Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, does not get a head coaching job <laughs> because I think that would be a, a pretty seamless fit for uh, Al Golden to head back to the, uh, to the team that he was a part of that staff when they went to the Super Bowl just a couple of years ago. Tim, when we talked last week, we were looking ahead a tad bit to the Notre Dame-Clemson game, and DraftKings Sportsbook had Notre Dame as a two-point underdog. Things have flipped since last Thursday, and as we record this, Notre Dame is favored by three now at Clemson. Is there still good value in Notre Dame? Look, I'm not trying to be pessimistic here, and I have not bet this game. Actually, I've bet the under. Uh, I think this is a slog. I think this is a low-scoring game. You know, if you can get 45, I think that's uh, worth a bet still. Uh, We've seen movement towards the under here recently. Look, the point spread, and I tweeted this out on Saturday when Notre Dame was putting it on Pitt and Clemson was losing to NC State, that this would be a short line and that the world would be on Notre Dame. And Hmm. uh, I have... uh, Accurately projected that. Uh, over at vcin.com, we have the updated betting splits. 89% of the bets, courtesy of DraftKings, are on Notre Dame right now. And I, I understand it, right? Clemson's disappointing. They're 4-4. Four and four. Notre Dame is, uh, you know, top 15 in the country, uh, coming off of a 58-7 win, 48-20 to 20 prior to that. So we know how betters bet. It's very reactionary. And I do wonder, okay, is this a spot? where Notre Dame could be in some trouble, a la Louisville. The reason I am not racing to bet Clemson, in addition to the fact I'm just a Notre Dame fan and hoping for the best, (laughs) is that I do wonder if the quit factor is out there in Clemson. Now, they've, you know, got the the culture aspect that Notre Dame kind of prides themselves on as well, but you're four and four, uh, you know, your coach is, 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 you know, going on radio shows and berating fans, whether he was right or wrong. I mean, the question was, was ridiculous, in my opinion. 
I'm just curious the mindset of that Clemson team. And, you know, what I'm really hoping for, Darren, is on Saturday afternoon, Notre Dame comes out and punches Clemson right in the nose immediately and see how they respond. Because I do wonder if this is the team that if you come out and let's say Notre Dame has a, an early touchdown drive, an eight-play, 75-yard drive, how is this Clemson team going to respond? You're 4-4. Four and four, It's not a night game. You know, I, I think Notre Dame has to really bring the intensity up and make sure they don't allow Clemson to hang around. Because if you get in the third quarter and it's a tie ball game, you know, Clemson's going to be into it. The fans are going to get into it. So I think it's really important for Notre Dame to come out and put it on them early and try to kind of pick up where they left off, so to speak, from last year's game in South Bend. And you can say there's some similarities from this game to last year, Darren. Well, Notre Dame's not undefeated, but mm. Notre Dame was down. You know, people were questioning Marcus Freeman, this program, and Notre Dame came out and put it on them. And now everyone's questioning Clemson. Is Dabo, you know, going to be, you know, out after this year, which he won't be? But, like, you know, does he have to go to the, uh, to the portal? All of that is coming out. And as a better, that always makes me nervous when there's just so much negativity one side that people just want to gravitate towards the Irish. So uh, I, I certainly hope Notre Dame is, is, is buttoned up and ready to go. Uh, but I think this is going to be pretty challenging uh, on Saturday for the Irish, especially on the offensive side, because Clemson's defense, is very, very good. Offensively, they got issues, but defensively, they're they're pretty darn good team. Tim, during your comments there, you mentioned this could be a spot. Now, we go back to the Notre Dame-Louisville game. When you joined me on the yep. program, you said, hey, this might be a spot for Louisville and a bad spot for Notre Dame. How would you define to the average gambler, when you say this might be an interesting spot, how do you define that? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's something that I try to find a lot. And I'll give you an example this weekend, right? Kansas is going to Iowa State. So we all just witnessed Kansas pull off what the broadcasters on Fox said, a generational win over Oklahoma. It was the first time in this century that Kansas had beaten Oklahoma. Oklahoma was undefeated, right? You have all this momentum for Kansas. And now you got to go on the road night game at Iowa State. And Iowa State's just kind of quietly hanging out. They're 4-1 in conference. To me, that's a spot for Iowa State to come up and grab Kansas, you know, whether it's a letdown spot, uh, you know, look-ahead spot, things like that. So situationally for Notre Dame, going back to the Louisville game, right, it was seven consecutive games for Notre Dame, all these primetime games, and Louisville waiting at home coming off of, remember, which was a pretty lackluster performance against NC State, they had that spot where they jumped up and they were able to grab them. So, yeah, I think you can look around and find different spots. For Notre Dame-Clemson, I don't think it's a bad spot for Notre Dame, right? You're coming off a bye uh, from two weeks ago. You're not tired. So I think Notre Dame's in a fine mindset. But this might be a buy-low spot for Clemson. They're 4-4. Four and four. They've been turning the ball over like crazy. And there's some things that, well, over the year, it may ultimately be sustainable. But if you're just trying to look at some things that are kind of unique, right? Clemson, in every statistical category, was better than NC State, except for the scoreboard. 
And that's as if you're a better, you kind of have to look at that thing, jump inside the box score a little bit. So you've seen this big flip in the market. There's now real massive injuries. Will Shipley probably is going to be out for Clemson, but Notre Dame's going to be without Mitchell Evans. So you're looking at a Clemson team that is, I think, 126 in the country in red zone efficiency. That is, I think, 127th in fumbles loss. And you think to yourself, is that sustainable? Do they come back to the norm? And then you flip it over to Notre Dame, where you've had a special teams touchdown, you've had a defensive touchdown each of the last two weeks, you've caused 10 turnovers. Is that sustainable? You know, and, and those are all questions you have to ask when you're betting on a week-to-week basis. So, you know, those are things that I look at why this might be a little bit of a spot for Clemson. And then lastly, desperation. You know, you can't fake desperation. How desperate is this Clemson team going to be? I don't know. They might be really desperate, or they might be done. They might want to quit. So that's why, you know, I wasn't, you know, gung-ho Clemson in this particular spot. But a lot of those reasons, Darren, lead me up to believe that, you know, Clemson could be a unique spot here uh, on Saturday with all of those factors, you know, weighed in for this particular game. Final question for you. Just being in Las Vegas and being around the people that are in the business, how massive do you think the 12-team playoff is going to be in the betting world? Enormous. It's going to be absolutely gigantic. And I think that third weekend in December is going to become one of the biggest weekends in, you know, in, in the Vegas calendar, not number one or not number two, but I think it could be top 10 because you're going to have what four games at massive universities. And then I also think this is going to be interesting too, where you think about colleges are going to be on winter break. So is Vegas now going to become a destination for that Saturday to watch all those games? And then you stick around and watch the games on Sunday. So, you know, I know, for instance, Derek Stevens is the owner of Circa, who, uh, you know, comes on my show each and every week. When the news came out, I talked to him about it, and he was ecstatic. I mean, this is, this is another monster college football weekend that we're adding to our calendar in addition now to New Year's Day. Uh, but I think this is – to me, with the home field advantages that are going to be out there, you know, you look at the uh, the rankings right now just to kind of give you a, a perspective on, on what we might be looking at, right? Um, you know, Washington would have a home game. Uh, Texas would have a home game. Alabama, Oregon. I mean, those are, you, you know, massive brands that are all going to have home games against more, you know, big brands as well. I mean, hopefully Notre Dame has a home game next year. So, I do think the third weekend of December, because it's not Christmas weekend, it's the weekend before Christmas, I do think it's going to become one of the biggest weekends of the entire sports calendar. And then, you you know, it's probably going to start with a Friday night game, I would think. Mm -hmm. And then you're probably going to have three on Saturday. I think it's going to be absolutely massive for the sports books, for for betters, and, you know, for, for folks to – to take those games in. I, I think it's, you know, for me, I'm, I'm pro, uh, you know, 12 team playoff. I know people think it's going to uh, water down the regular season. I just, I think the fact that we could get a, you know, a Penn state at Oregon, which I guess could be a regular thing regardless. Uh, so maybe that's a bad example, but you know, having thinking about this, like what if you're getting Oklahoma coming to South Bend, third weekend of December, or you're getting Texas in South Bend. I mean, it's going to be just massive for this sport, in my opinion. 
Tim, thank you so much for your time. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. All right, fingers crossed. Let's get it done on Saturday. <laughs> Sounds good. That's Tim Murray. Check him out tonight on Beeson at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And Sportsbeat continues next on WSBT. You can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the app store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. Well, the Irish men's basketball team won their exhibition game over Hanover last night, 96-62. Penn High School's Marcus Burton, 18 points to lead the Irish. Braden Shrewsbury and Logan Imes each with 14. Tony Simeone had the call here on WSBT Radio. After the game, he was joined by new head coach Micah Shrewsbury. Congratulations on the first win here. First four or five minutes, took you guys a while to find your footing within that 24 nothing run. What did you see that changed that allowed you guys to turn it on there in the first half? Uh, probably just a little nervous, <laughs> a little excitement, right? We, You know, when you start you know, those, those young fellas, man, we start so many of them, right? The, those, those two freshman guards, you start, you know, Roper is a junior, has played the most out of anybody, but then Kevin Tay are still young in their careers. But um, I thought once the jitters left, we, we started to attack. We started to play the right way. We started to move the ball. Um, and that, that benefited us. I wanted to ask you about the freshman. Let's start with Marcus Burton, though. He led the way with 18 points. He looked pretty sharp to me in his debut. Is that what you're hoping to get out of him? Is that the kind of way you want to see him play throughout the year? Yeah, I think his aggressiveness, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the best thing I heard is, is uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a stickler, man, for, for defensive rules and how we play. Uh, but even on offense, I just want us to play at the right pace and screen at the right angles. But um, I heard, the, I think Greg Popovich said, don't let rules stifle um, talent. Okay. Right, yeah, and, and that's yeah. You gotta let Marcus go sometimes, okay. right? Like sometimes he'll make a mistake, but you gotta let him be aggressive mistakes and let him get to those. And um, I'm just proud of the, the effort and how he played, and he he can really spur us on runs. Let me ask you about the defensive side of the ball. Then you held him to 33% shooting. You took it away 13 times. From what you saw in the, in the 40 minutes, what'd you like defensively from your group? We we've been pretty locked in uh, defensively, and. You know, for a group, we knew coming into this that, that they were going to try and spread the court, shoot a bunch of threes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being there, only having, only giving up eight threes is something that we we want to do, right? Okay. We want to force people into tough two-pointers. And uh, I thought we did that for the most part. And we didn't give them clean looks. They got a couple when we didn't, you know, we didn't, some things we got to clean up defensively. But I thought our effort uh, makes up for mistakes. And uh, these guys are playing so hard that, that – We'll clean up some of those mistakes as we keep playing more and more games. Well, on Monday, the Irish open up the regular season at Purcell Pavilion against Niagara, 7 o'clock tip. Here are the game on WSBT Radio. Pre-game coverage Monday will start at 6.30. Sports Wagering Talk wraps up the program next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hi, I'm Megan from Monterey. For years, Monterey Mexican Bar and Grill in Mishawaka has been known for serving the most authentic Mexican food this side of the Rio Grande. We are pleased to announce that we have expanded your dining options with a newly renovated private space on the upper level of our restaurant. Do you have an upcoming event, private party, business training, or awards ceremony? Get to the Mont. 
Looking for a space to spread out or to host the ultimate watch party with our dedicated TVs? Better get to the Mont. Whatever the event, whatever the size, we've got you covered. Your home for the freshest Mexican food around is ready to serve you breakfast, lunch, or dinner in our family dining room, bar, or private event space. Bring Monterey Takeout home with you, or let's talk about catering. This is just one more way we're here to serve you. Get to McKinley and Division in Mishawaka. Just give us a call or use the new online ordering system at MontereyMexican.com today. For over a century, Midland Engineering has invested in roofing solutions for thousands of Michiana businesses with the latest technology and quality installation. At Midland, they take as much pride in their service as they do new projects. From untimely leaks to major repairs, you can count on the dedicated service professionals at Midland Engineering. Their commitment to service starts when you make the very first phone call. They have a real person answer the phone 24-7. Learn more about the Midland difference at MidlandEngineering.com. Hi, I'm Nate Zolman with Best One Fleet Service. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 